0: Welcome to the Like Dragons Did They Fight podcast series. Thanks so much for being here. This is a great podcast for hope and healing. And today I'm here with Ammon. He's a mentor in the Men of Roni program. Good morning, Alvin. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Hi, how are you doing, Karen?
0: Good. Actually when I when I met up with Ammon this morning, I was like, Ammon, your voice sounds like a radio voice. It's a great radio voice.
1: <laughs> so, I'm not sure how comfortable I feel with that, but okay, thanks.
0: <laughs> so anyway, Alan, would you just introduce us to you? Tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from and a little bit about your family and the things that you do before you came to Life J Services.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in West Valley City. Let's see. Yeah, I went to Granger High School. I I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in uh, northeastern Brazil. It was the at the time it was the Brazil, S.C.V. South mission. It's in the northeast of Brazil. Came home in '95, and I attended uh, Solid Community College. Graduated from there. That's where I met my wife. We, we did some praying and I went up to University of Idaho, graduated from University of Idaho in natural resources, actually uh, forest products, uh, it's a degree in wood construction and design. So that's what I graduated in. After that, we moved down to St. George, Utah. I worked in Mesquite, Nevada for a couple of years and then in St. George for a couple of years. And then I got a job up in Brigham City, but well, we moved to Cedar City for about a year. My my family was living in Cedar City while I was working in Brigham City, and I commuted on the weekends. That was a bit difficult, but um, so we got, we we did that for a year, and then we we moved into my parents' home. Uh, they, they were preparing to go on a mission, and we were going to take care of their house for them. Um, their mission took a little bit more than a year for them to finally get all the details settled, uh, but they... Uh, they they left on their mission and we stayed and took care of their home. So we lived in West Valley for oh about three three years, and then we moved up to where we are now in South Ogden. Um, I've been I've been working in Brigh- the the company worked in Brigham City since since 2008, uh, we moved to South Ogden in 2011, and that, that's that's where we are now. I've I've been a young I've been in the young men's presidency before. Currently, I'm serving as a young, young men's president. I'll be the last young men's president in our ward <laughs> with the new changes that are made.
0: Do you have children?
1: Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, my wife and I we have eight children. Our oldest is 22, and our youngest uh, is five. So they're spread out all um, all along there. Yeah. So.
0: You're like, you're totally on the treadmill. That's,
1: <laughs> you're there. Yeah. Um, well, I should probably mention, uh, my, my wife homeschools our children. I try and help, but mostly it's, all, it's her. And yeah, she does a pretty good job. We. Uh, I, that, that, that's, a, that's actually a story in itself. We, my wife and I, before our oldest was in kindergarten, we thought we wanted to homeschool. And so we tried to homeschool and didn't really know what we were doing. Uh, we ended up feeling like we were just doing public school at home, and not 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 really having a great relationship with our son. And so we decided to send him back to kindergarten because he he was just a very precocious kid. He learned to read at like four, and was just very re- very much into books and reading, and uh, and we we uh, we yeah, but so we we kind of just we, we were like okay, well public school is not all that bad, and so. We just were make made sure we were involved in helping him with his education, and then um, while we were in and down in Saint George, we read a we read a book called um, a Thomas Jefferson education. Uh, it's about and they, they call the the whole idea of the philosophy is leadership education, is helping people to to self educate. And uh, after reading that, we uh, just had some experiences with the public school system that um, really kind of just changed our mind. And after reading the getting the help from the book and the the community that has been following that philosophy, we felt like we could actually do homeschooling. And we've been doing that ever since. That was in two thousand. Oh, early two thousands. I don't remember exactly what year it would have been. I could probably figure it out, but yeah, we've so we've been homeschooling since the two thousand five, six around that time. And so, uh, my wife's been she's she's been pretty diligent and pretty good about helping, being an inspiration, and doing her own education to inspire the kids. And yeah, we we do pretty well. So,
0: and tell us a little bit about. Um, well, I'm assuming that your career and the jobs that you have have all kind of followed that same degree that you got. Is that right?
1: (laughs) That's kind of funny. I've actually never worked in wood wood products and then forest products. Um, I have, I have used a little bit of the structural. Um, I I actually work since I graduated from University of Idaho. I've worked in uh, civil engineering, drafting, uh, surveying, um, then, uh, for, for a short period of time, uh, for that period, while we were in Cedar City, my wife and I were trying to uh, get into real estate investing, um, but that was in 2006, 2007, 2008, which is anybody knows anything about real estate was the exact wrong time to get into real estate investing. That didn't work out really well for us. Um, we ended up losing losing a house and having a whole bunch of financial problems. Um, but that was when I, that, that's when I went back to work at, uh, I, I work for Nucor, uh, I started doing steel detailing. Um, I call it, uh, basically I was making adult erector sets, it's a pre-engineered steel building.
0: Yeah, um, Too <laughs> much fun for a man.
1: <laughs> it, it was it was pretty fun it, it was very very intense very it was very detailed it was very much a schedule that we were on a high intensity stressful schedule and uh, make sure we get the, the product out we, we we made the drawings and uh sent the instructions to the shop to build the the parts that would be sent out to the job site so that people could put them together um but yeah my job was to take um the requests from the from the customer the is clarified through salespeople and customer service people and then take the design from the engineer, the specifications from the engineer about, you know, what sizes things need to be and um, what bolts and stuff and where bolts needed to be put and, and everything and and basically create the drawings and send instructions to the, the shop that builds the parts and then that they send out the building and people out in the field put up the building. So and, and uh, in 2012, 13 ish, um, I got I started getting involved with the the software. as we, we started exploring a uh, a software that that helps with that. They call it the build building information modeling a BIM type software, um, where we were exploring doing it, going a different route. Uh, before we had just been doing two D CAD and using a calculator and and a knowledge of trigonometry to figure out how everything went together. Um, and this, this software would actually let us model it in 3D on the computer. Um, and so uh, I, I was, I helped in exploring the possibilities of a software to use. Um, and then, uh, then I, I, I went into the being, being a tester of the development um, of the development team that would uh, basically, they, they developed plugins and, Um, extra software that we added to on top of the the commercial software that was available. And so I would test our programs and I was a software tester. Then in 2014, they kind of combined a whole bunch of different divisions and I became what's called a software support. Uh, We're basically a help desk where if people were having problems with their software, they would call or send an email to me or call me and I would try and help them figure out what, what they were doing wrong or take a note out. Well, the software is doing this wrong. So I need to tell the development team to fix it. And I was doing it first for just the detailing software, just the steel detailing software. And then they combined all of the software support for the different development teams into one team. And so we started all of us just helping with all of the software. In 2017, um, I applied for and became lead for that team, the software support team. And that's that's what I'm doing currently
0: that is different yeah. than just what you graduated, from.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I don't know that uh, I've really ever used my wood construction degree at all
0: <laughs> wow, so fascinating and really fun to hear about what about yeah. your, your wife um, how how did you run into your wife and like did you guys think we are gonna have eight kids? <laughs>
1: No. So, um, yeah, my, my wife and I met at Salt Lake Community College uh, at the Institute. Um, she actually, she actually taught me how to play pool, which we don't play much anymore, but, uh, it, it was a big thing to do, uh, down at Salt Lake Community College Institute. So, uh, that's where we met. Um, she asked me out to the, the girls preference dance, uh, in, I guess it would have been ninety in 96. Um, when she, she asked me the gross preference dance, and we started hanging out, going going on dates together and doing things, a whole bunch of things together, and I proposed in May of that year, and we got married in September of 96. Um, one of the things that we did right when we first started is that we, we just we started a game. It was kind of a questions game, where just to get to know you type of a thing, like, Uh, well, then the the kind of the rule was that, um, you couldn't ask a question that you weren't willing to answer. And so, um, we each took turns of who asked the first question. And then it was basically you ask a question and actually the other person answers, you have to, the question is basically turned back on you. And so you both had, we, we both had to answer the same question. Um, and we just took turns as to who, who was the one that decided what question we would answer. Um, so after, after about a day of doing that, um, day Mail, a couple of days of doing that, we got past the what's your favorite color, what's your favorite food, and, and got into more, uh, more was personal, it, in was depth it, questions. So, is this
0: after you were married or before you were married?
1: Before, okay. this is, yeah, this was, yeah, this was a, after our first date. <laughs> okay, got it. Okay. Yeah. So you got so, to more personal yeah.
0: questions.
1: Yeah. Got to more personal questions, got to know each other, and, um, then that's that's basically when we decided that uh, that we wanted to get married, yeah. And then she invited me to go to Memorial Day with her family, so I could meet her her family and extended family, which was an experience in and of itself. But uh, after that experience that evening, we uh, I, I took her to Temple Square, and um, and asked her to marry me on on the steps of the Tabernacle on Temple Square so.
0: That's awesome. And then you just ended up having a big family because that's just how it rolled along.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Something, that's one thing we discovered as we were asking questions is that we knew we, we, we didn't want to limit our family. Um, my, my wife knew she wanted at least, um, at least seven kids. I think it was at the time she'd had a dream about something. Uh, and yeah. I said she wanted at least, I think it was seven kids. It might've been six. I don't remember, but, um, but that was something we decided that we were, we were going to let heavenly father decide, um, how many kids and that he would let us know when we were done. Um, and so that's kind of how we, how, how we decided that we, you know, we didn't decide that we were going to have a big family for per se. I guess six kids is big, but, uh, we were going to let him decide, um, Basically, it was uh, throughout our whole marriage, it was once we decided that we weren't going to, that we were going to, that we weren't going to delay having it. more kids, we, we got pregnant. And so <laughs> it was kind of Heavenly father just said, yep, you're ready for another kid. And we're like, really? Okay. <laughs> and um, we had, well, most of our kids are right around two years apart, year and a half to two years apart.
0: Right.
1: Um, yeah. I guess one thing that, uh, another thing about one, one of our kids, when he was, uh, our third youngest kid, uh, when he was, when he was five, he got a pretty bad fever and he actually had some seizures and we took him to the hospital and he was the, the, he was in a medically induced coma for a month at primary children's. And, um, then he was. We were. That was. That was a really rough time. Uh, we had. When he got. When he came home, he he didn't have. He seemed to be, back to normal, but about six to nine months after that, he started having seizures again. Um, at first, they didn't happen a lot, but they increased till he was having. Um, sometimes twenty. Seizures a day. The medication that he was on wasn't uh, wasn't stopping it. Um, that's when we got into the the medical cannabis. Somebody um, told us that medical cannabis can really help with epilepsy and with seizures, and and so we well, we tried that, um, and it was <laughs> it was actually um, as soon as we gave him, you know, we we, we, we had we supplemented the the prescription medication that he was on and gave him some medical, uh, some cannabis oil. And it took his, uh, 20 seizures a day down to about five. And eventually it was about, uh, for a while, it was one every other day or so. Um, but on that, uh, on that regimen of, of stuff it all started to increase a little bit. Um, Mostly because cannabis was hard to come by <laughs> and expensive, and so we didn't always have access to it. And so his seizures slowly increased, and then he got we got on another medication that actually took it down, so that his seizures were less um, less severe and didn't last as long. And so he's on a he's on a a regimen of, of a couple of prescription medications and some medical cannabis. We were uh, pretty heavily involved in the in the, the the campaign here in Utah to legalize medical cannabis. Um, we we met with the the LDS church officials actually when when they were looking into it and trying to understand the need for medical cannabis, and um, we were very very impressed with how uh, how how um, caring they were, and how much they really wanted to, how much empathy they had for, for those of us. Um, some some people may disagree, but that was our impression of of their interaction with us, um, and well, and the, the the people that were involved. Uh, there's a lot of very emotion, very very high emotions about that topic, um, but we were um, we were really impressed with how how this church uh, interacted with the with the the people who needed medical cannabis and how, um, how they handled that, that situation. But yeah, so we were very happy when the medical cannabis initiative passed through the ballot and that, uh, and yeah, we've been involved with that. Um, and so, yeah, that's been a major part of our lives is, uh, is helping our son with his epilepsy and, and doing that. So, yeah.
0: That's so challenging. But what a, anyway, I'm just thinking, what a special story as far as, you know, what it's, the journey it's taken you on and, and the, the accessibility it created for for people to, to use that that needed it medically. So good. Okay, well, Ellen, tell us, would you mind telling us, like, why would you want to have a podcast interview for the Like Dragon Did They Fight series? I know you're a Menomoroni mentor, and so it's obvious why we're having this interview, but why? Why do you want to share?
1: Well, um, because pornography and just um, the sexual promiscuity in our world today is a very real danger. Um and there needs to be more awareness of it, and I wanna I wanna help get that awareness out to make um, to make this wonderful program that has helped me immensely uh, to make it um, more available and more more um, make people aware of the program that uh, can really help them if they if they allow it to.
0: And it's so cool that you're willing to do this. It's obvious that. Um, What you're saying is true, but I mean, you mentioned that you've been a young men's president several, or you've been in young men's a lot, and you're the young men's president, the last one currently, Um, but just, um, you know, and you have a large family. I would imagine that you you and your wife have a large family too,
1: like you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I'm I'm actually second oldest of 10. Um, My my older brother passed away a couple years ago. From a heart attack, but yeah, we're we're a large family. Um, my wife is one of six, so she's the second oldest of six. So yeah, we we both have we both come from fairly large families.
0: Yeah, and how much do just people in your life, like your family and your um, people that know you in your community, know about the struggles that you've had and and the <laughs> this the things that you've been through?
1: Um, I don't know how many of my siblings know, a, a, a couple of them know about the struggles that I've, uh, that I've been through that led to Menomoroni. Um, but no, not, not a lot of people in my life know about it. Um, obviously my wife does, but, uh, <laughs> there's a few people that, that I've, I've told that, uh, 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 yeah that I, i've i've talked talk to about the, the struggle uh, my bishop obviously knows and um yeah s- several other closer fr- close friends
0: Uh well thank you so much it's it's a it's a vulnerable service that you're creating here and tell me when your struggle started
1: that's that's a difficult question to pin down <laughs> um because there's so much involved with it, um, I, my my parents are. Um, I love my parents, and I know they love me. Um, but I, I have never really had a, a a relationship with them that where I felt like I could talk to them about my struggles and about what I'm going through. Um, they they themselves struggle with things uh, their their own their own childhood and stuff, but, uh, my father is, is a very, um, severe person who has a, a temper and, uh, because of that, he and I, especially during, uh, during my childhood and especially during my teen years, um, to say we weren't close would be an, uh, an understatement, um. There were times as a teenager I would have said I hated him, Um, and that was that was a difficult time as a teenager uh, going through not not being able to to speak with my parents, and um, that was when I was first exposed to pornography. I know that uh, I also had there was a (laughs) I call him a friend because at the time I thought he was Um, he was the same age as me, but he. this this, uh, this young man was, uh, he he would talk about just dirty stories and talk about sex. And it was something that he talked about that I was just not familiar with. And I was very much too young to even be um, exposed to that type of stuff. And this is something I, I haven't really um, vocalized. It just recently in the last several months, I've come to realize that this was something that, uh, that affected me in this way is that he um, he actually he, he I would call it molested me as a child um, he was the same age as me but uh, that's something that uh, yeah it's, it's not something I've really vocalized a lot and um, but that definitely had an impact on getting those chemicals the neurochemicals going in my brain um, and then as a as a teenager, I don't remember exactly how old I was—15, um, 16. I remember I was—I um, was waiting for the bus, and it was out front. It was downtown Salt Lake. In it was the bus stop that I was waiting at it was out in front of a, a a shop, and I said, "You know, I, I want to get some candy," and so I went inside and got some candy. And just right across from the candy were some uh, pornographic magazines, and. That was the, the first time I'd been exposed to pornography in that form. And that's something that um, I struggled with. I, I spoke to my bishop at the time about it. It was, well, not immediately, but it was a, about a couple, I guess, a year or so after that happened. I spoke with my bishop about, about that, and he helped me to, to well, to, to come to Christ and um, about that time, I had a, a really ex- a good experience with. Um, I had a dream uh, where, uh, well, I had the, the Savior come and um, I had experience with Him, and uh, that helped me to know that I'm an individual to Him, and that had, that helped me to um, to fight the battle for a while. Um, I struggled struggled off and on with fighting with those the chemicals that get you spinning and get you uh, they get you to the point where you act outside your value system like it's taught in the Minamoroni and eternal warriors and sons of Helaman and you know the the, the life-changing services that we talk about um, with that spiral um, but knowing that he loved me I could I, I frequently turned back to Christ and um, but it, it was, it's been a battle ever since for most of my life uh, as the stresses of, um, of our family have, uh, have had their influence on in my life. That's been more and more, um, confessed to my wife a few times of, uh, of viewing pornography and, um, and engaging in masturbation. And, um, there were times when I went, was, went for a while without telling her about it. And, um, so the last time was, and, and where, where she discovered that I'd been, um, I'd been looking at pornography and, uh, we had, we had some serious discussions and, and I went and spoke to the bishop, and we needed to find a program for me to get into to um, to help me with this, because up until this, I hadn't really, I'd, I'd spoken to a counselor once or twice before, and um, but nothing really for an extended period of time. Life kind of got in the way, and it wasn't a priority for some reason, um, but yeah, and so this time it was it was important. Um, I wanted to I wanted to get this under control and to start winning battles. Um, I did. That's not what I called it at the time, but um, I can see it that that's what I wanted to do at the at um, and and so we were looking for a program. Um, and a couple years before, actually. Um, Annelie Milne had gotten involved with. We were we were in a homeschooling group with Anelody Milne, and um, she had she had been uh, promoting to um, to all a lot of us. She was very much involved at that time. I, I guess she still is now, but she was she was very much involved with the Sons of Helaman program. And I don't know if Morone had started at the time that she had first mentioned it to us, but she'd mentioned it to us a couple of years before, and we had um, looked at uh looked at stuff like that for for our children to to help them and uh, mm. um, and uh, that's when we looked in this and found out that they did have a a program for adult men uh called Menomoroni. Um at the time I was pretty um pretty discouraged um, but
0: uh and were you discouraged because uh, the conversation you and your wife had, or the effect it was having on your wife, or were you just discouraged because you had it had gotten so far along that your own personal struggle was so difficult? What was really discouraging to you?
1: A lot of it, um, you know, be, being in the fog of addiction, it's really difficult to, to, to tell what um, what your motivation is, um, whether it's uh, because of the um, the the demands that you're, that my wife was was making, or because I, I, I there was some of all of that, um, I, I definitely was discouraged because of how far it had gotten. The, it would not have happened. I know if it, it wouldn't have happened if my wife had not uh, insisted that I find a program. Um, just because you know being in the being in in the fog of addiction, um, you're not in the habit of acting within your value system and making intentional decisions for your own benefit, especially for your spiritual benefit. And I had, you know, procrastinated and too far too often. Procrastination was um, a big part of my life. Uh, Procrastination and, and relying on other people to, Help me be responsible for the things that I need to be responsible for, um, and that, that's still something that I'm working on, on correcting is um, being responsible for my own life, um, which you know that's it's not exactly a sin to, <laughs> it's not something that needs to be confessed to the bishop that you you, you struggle being responsible, um, and so that's uh, that's something I'm still working on and struggling with and um, learning to do. Um, but that—that's definitely a part of of being addicted to to anything. Really, is taking responsibility um, and looking at a problem and dealing with it rather than um, using your addiction of choice to to numb out and to escape from from reality. Yeah. And, so.
0: And I'm assuming that. Um, you mentioned that you hadn't really done a lot to address it, but had you done like the 12 step program or I had,
1: I had attended uh, for several weeks. uh, Well, probably enough weeks to have gone through all, all 12 step programs of the, the the church's sponsored addiction recovery program, the -hmm. pornography addiction recovery program. Um, One, one thing that I experienced with that, I don't want to, I mean, it it is a it's an inspired program if you read through the book and, and follow the program it's, it's just when I was attending the spirit there was more of a it was very discouraging um people were identifying as addicts and um just it did it, it didn't seem to be helping most of the man, brothers that were with that were attending and it was mostly discouraging uh for me um Going there and just listening to people talk about their lost battles—that were, <laughs> in my mind, so much, so much—they uh, were scary for me to listen to the lost battles that people had. Um, and it wasn't really uplifting a lot of the time for me to go. And so um, when my schedule just did it conflicted with uh, the the addiction recovery program for me going. Um, just kind of, again, you know, I failed to take responsibility and, you know, decide to just, you know, to make it work. I just let my schedule get in the way and stopped attending the addiction recovery program.
0: Well, and what, you know, how I'm sure this whole time you're going to work, you're being a dad, you're, uh, you're probably having church callings. Um, like, I think that's one of the shocking things to people who know uh, people who struggle with addiction, you just think, "I didn't even see that," or "I," you know, how can you just explain a little bit um, how you can make that work?
1: <laughs> well, it's a lot of deception going on in your head. Um, you're you get into the the habit of saying things like, "Well, you know, well it it wasn't that bad of a, or a lapse." Um, yeah, that, that that phrase not that bad becomes very prevalent in your head Um, and um, you you still can feel the spirit um, and you do have spiritual experiences and and to me you know having those spiritual experiences was was evidence that it was okay for me to that that I I was okay because I felt the spirit testify something or I was able to be guided by the spirit to do something that that helped and uh, yeah being being deceived in that way uh, I, I, as as I think back on it I think of I think you know well that, that that may be true that I felt the spirit, but how much how much more influence could I have had? You know, and I guess that's not that's not super helpful uh to think about the past and go through, you know, what could have been. Yeah. But um it can help me to to say, well, you know, how much more influence can I have now? Um that I'm I'm not weighed down by that the, the fog of that addiction.
0: Yeah. And did you notice when you started um, healing from your addiction and um, getting to a place where you had more uh, more wins than losses, did you find it it did change the uh, amount or the frequency that you could, just your confidence in feeling the spirit, did it increase? Or?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the minimum of program is the first time that I've actually been able to consistently Meet uh, a goal. <laughs> uh, the 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 manpower goals have been uh, th- those. I think are the the secret sauce. I mean, uh, if there is one thing in the mentorona program, there there's so many things that help in the Minamorona program. But as, as a mentor, um, if there's somebody that's struggling with having uh, with winning their battles on a day to day basis. Um, I tell them, you know, it's important that you win battles, but right now I think your focus, rather than on not losing a battle, your focus should be on doing your manpower goals every day, being consistent with that. Let's get so that you have a consistent habit of doing manpower goals because that's what helped me. Was focusing on on saying my prayers twice a day for five minutes. Um, that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had to time myself because I was like, "Well, how long exactly is five minutes?" And it's a lot longer than you think it is in your head. <laughs> um, and so, I the
0: same I, thing. I remember thinking, yeah. five minutes? Okay, how long is it?" I actually. Oh, yeah, that's not that long. To timer.
1: <laughs> yeah, I still use a timer because it, it's it's important because you you know you get in your head and you think, "Oh yeah, that's been five minutes," and it's been like two. Um, but yeah, that that in of itself, I think just, um, I know I know for a fact I had never prayed for five minutes at a time before that point in my life. And doing that, actually, when I started Minimum, my program, um, I was doing it three times a day because in my patriarchal blessing, I was counseled to pray morning, noon, and night. And so I felt impressed that that's what I needed to do. And so I was, I was praying three times a day for five minutes. Um, I still... I still have a prayer throughout my heart, but uh, in, throughout the day, but I, to, I, I've, I'm, I'm back to just doing it twice a day. I felt, felt guided that that's, that's how I, that's what I should be doing right now at this point. Um, but I still do pray in the middle of the day. I just don't do the the timer and, and stuff in the middle of the day. Um, but doing that, experiencing that prayer um, and praying and trying to find what, what do I say for five minutes and then asking Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, what do I need to pray about? How do I, how do I, how do I pray for five minutes? I, um, I was able to strengthen that relationship with Heavenly Father in a way that I, I had never had before. Um, even through those experiences of, um, of knowing, of having that, those experiences with Christ earlier in my life as a teenager, and the, the impact that that had on me. Um, I, I know that I, I never, I guess that, that, that experience itself, I've, I felt closer to Heavenly Father. But uh, aside from that, the, the praying five, five for five minutes, um, three times a day was a huge factor in building my relationship with my Heavenly Father and getting to know him and, and have and getting used to having him direct my life and influence my life with the spirit and, and then that, and then also uh, writing in my journal. Uh, <laughs> I have not, before minimum Minimoroni program, I, I don't know that I've written in my journal more than maybe a week in a row before. And now, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't have 100% writing in my journal, but for the 500 days of sobriety that I have, um, most of those are days that I've written in my journal and, and, uh, I would say 99%. There's a day every now and then that I, that I've, I've missed, but writing in my journal has been a major impact on, on helping me to, um, well, first of all, process my emotions, uh, to get them out of my head so that I can look at them and, and see exactly what am I saying to myself and to take, to take those things out of my head and, to write down the things, the impressions that I get so that I can look at them later or just look at them in the moment and be able to, to put them to words.
0: Um,
1: reading scriptures has been something I've been more consistent about throughout my life, but, um, not as consistent as having the manpower goals has, has made it. Um, and that, that has been a major impact in my life and helping me, um, yeah, so getting back to that, getting to the, having that as a regular daily, yes I did, no I didn't, and being, and holding myself accountable for that has been a major a part of, of the recovery process. Um, and then the, the, the man goals, the, the, those ones have been just helpful to be, to have something that, um, a daily goal that I set for myself and I reset that I, I can, I can adjust those goals is what, what the specifics are. You know, the, the PWR prayer writing and reading goals are, um, they're kind of set. They're not exactly something that you can, that you, you know, you change every 28 days or whatever. Um, but the other goals, uh, the, the ministering and, uh, um, action, and no goals are stuff that you can do, you you do for 28 days and you create a habit and then you can say, well, I think I I felt inspired. I I need to switch up, switch up my, my man goals. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, those have been very helpful to help me know that I actually, I can set a goal and, and achieve it. Um, And it's, yeah, Yeah, that's that's been very helpful.
0: That's so excellent. And it's, it kind of breaks it down in a way that makes it very small, very specific, kind of like measurable, yeah. where you can feel like, I, I can actually track and see the success, even if it's small, it's just a, the momentum or confidence that it builds. It adds yeah. to your recovery so much. I totally agree with that. I just keep thinking about just what you described, that special experience you had as a young man and the evidence that it created that you're an individual and that you matter to me. Um, How significant that must have been in your life um, with the feelings you were having about your dad. And how, I don't know, I just keep thinking that's so significant. And then to go, you know, all these years trying to show up as a good man, but having this struggle behind the scenes you know, you said you could feel the spirit, but then as you got to a place where you're consistently turning to and focusing on in a purposeful, intentional way, that's daily, in a meaningful, I'm trying to understand me, and I'm also trying to find God in all of this. Anyway, just the connection of those two and the years that went by. Anyway, I just think that it's significant it makes me feel a lot of joy and appreciation for heavenly father for the savior and for how they um they'll come and meet us wherever wherever they're we're able to feel them or find them they'll come and meet us but when we intentionally sit turn to them it's like it changes
1: yeah <laughs> very much so um, one thing I was going to say is that the, you, you talk about building confidence, um, that cause that's one thing that the addiction, especially uh, addiction to pornography and masturbation is, it does, is it, it just erodes your confidence, uh, in your ability to, to be consistent and to, um, and, and to, to live with in, in alliance with what you, what you value, um, because you you allow Satan to beat yourself up, you know. At at the time, I would have said I'm beating myself up, but that's something that uh, the the minimum of my program has taught me is that it's not beat, me beating myself up. That's me allowing Satan to beat me up and allowing Satan to just say a whole bunch of horrible things. That if if I were to say to somebody else, I would feel mortified. And if anybody else were to say those things to me, I would probably punch him in the face. But to allow Satan to say to me in my own voice, and to to start to believe about myself, was were um, very destructive, very self-destructive. And, and going through the minimum program and doing those daily consistent goals, um, you know, obviously not perfectly, but I was I was very consistent with my manpower goals, and that helped me to gain the confidence and say, yes, Ammon, you you can you can say you're going to do something and do it. And that, you know, that's, mm. it was just uh, immensely, it helped build that, that confidence and to let me know that I, I can win battles and I can do good things.
0: That's so. excellent. When did you come to find the Manimurami program? How long have you been in?
1: Um I started uh, in the program in... Uh, I want to say June of 2018.
0: Tell I'm me your impression when you came to the Menomoroni program? Because you said you tried ARP, and we love <laughs> ARP. Um, yeah. And it has so much value. But what was it that when you came to Menomoroni, like you said that you t- looked at the resources at Life Changing Services for your children. Had any of them um, been involved in any of the resources before you came?
1: Um, No, uh, not yet. Uh, We had looked at it, uh, hadn't really, you know, hadn't really pursued it. Um, Again, that's probably just because of my my inconsistency and just procrastination at the time.
0: What did you notice when you came? Because what were you expecting?
1: I was expecting something very similar to my experience with the ARP program. Um, Just a lot of people that are very discouraged and... um, just losing battles and come to report on their lost battles. Um, and what I did experience was uh, a brotherhood of, of men that are encouraging each other and fighting together and, and just helping each other to win battles. Um, there was, uh, a spirit of hope. Um, that was it was mostly general you know, there there were some people that were discouraged because of their lost battles there were people there that had been winning battles and best in the program there was the mentor that was there and available and, and able to help on an individual level and it was just there was there was hope there. there there was evidence of success of of people that were there and that's what i experienced when i came to menomarai yeah
0: so good and so as you uh, you mentioned the manpower being such a great tool um to prove to you that you could be consistent and follow through and then also to help you start building a more personal relationship with heavenly father what else did you notice in the men of program that you'd like to point out that you just think this is so
1: valuable <laughs> it's actually Part of every Mentor on I program, the part of every meeting is a section where we answer questions. Um, everybody, of course, answers the, the first question. Um, what are you fighting for or why are you fighting? And during that time, the, this, what we call sparring, was was so valuable because yeah. this is a time where actually the mentor or other brothers, they, they actually throw at you things that they know Satan is going to throw at you. Um, they say things that... That everybody everybody has going on inside their head something similar, but it's in an environment where if they see that you're struggling to answer that and to be able to respond to that in a, in a good way, that they're there to help you and help you find a correct answer and a correct response to that. Throwing things like, "Well, you you're not going to win. You know, you, you you've lost so f- you know you've lost so much so far, and you know you, you're you're how can you think you're going to win?" And if you're struggling to find an answer to that, they can say, this is why I am and you're going to win is because you've, uh, you've got a testimony, you, you, you love your family and you're, you're going to fight they help you to, to come up with those answers that are so hard to come up with when you're, especially when you're first starting out and that, that, you know, it seems like it might be kind of, um, triggering to have those things said and, and it kind of is. But at the same time, having somebody there to be with you through the trigger and to help you process that and to know how to process those thought patterns and to to come up with a good answer is, is so valuable, so very helpful.
0: That is, they're not really coming right out. You can do this, Ammon. but just the dynamic of seeing this is how this guy did it. It might not be exactly my same formula, but that guy sounds like that. And this guy, yeah. like that, uh, there's just such a, it's being surrounded by the kind of support. I don't know if a better way to say it, if there's a better way to say it, but it's like the kind of support where if you're invested, they're not going to let you fall. Yeah. You might lose a battle, but you're still on the team and they still believe in you. And yeah.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Which actually reminds me, you saying that—that that reminds me of another tool, another another thing that really helps—is is the lost battle analysis. Um, actually, in, since starting the program, I, I haven't had a lost battle since starting Moroni program, and I, I, I attribute that to a couple of things. First of all, the manpower goals, but second of all, is the lost battle analysis that. Um, being there kind of a third party to other people's lost battle analysis because mm-hmm. I can see how, wow, I could have, I've, I've had thoughts like that. And that's a lie that I've believed and uh, being able to just benefit from the lost battle analysis of somebody who lost a battle to something that I'm a battle that I knew I was fighting and didn't, well, that I could recognize I was fighting, but didn't realize it until I saw them fighting that battle. Mm-hmm. And and be able to have them work through that and, and identify the lie, and and come up with well, how am I going to prepare for that? And I was like, well, I'm going to prepare the same way so that I make sure I don't lose that battle. And um, so yeah, the lost battle analysis is is so beneficial that 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 and my and keeping consistent with the manpower goals has been both of those two have been phenomenal in my and in, in my ability to to win battles.
0: Yeah. Can you give us just a little more picture of uh, just more of a picture of what is a loss battle analysis? Like if, as a mentor sure. and you were taking someone through one, like how would that, what would that look like? someone would be like, well, my loss battles are so, I feel so much shame and so yuck about them. I'm never going to that program. I'm not going to go through <laughs> everybody's junk. You know what I mean? But oh yeah. What does that
1: look Absolutely. like? So yeah, that a lost battle analysis, it's, it's so, so important to do that yourself within 24 hours of your lost battle because you need to identify what, what led up to it and how, how you lost your battle because it's more than just the forget it moment of where you, where you decide to act completely against your value system. But that's where it starts is um, we, we don't focus on what what you did to lose a battle. Um, what we focus on is, well, when when did the lost battle happen? When so and where were about, you?
0: It's not about. So where were you sitting? What were you doing? And how did? Yeah. What did your last battle look like? It's not about yeah, that. Let's,
1: let's go through the gory details of what you did to lose your battle. No, we don't. No. That, that's not, that's not helpful at all. Really. Okay. I mean, well, yeah. maybe, maybe with a therapist it might be, but <laughs> not right. not when we're not when we're trying to help you to identify how Satan uh, how Satan got you to lose your battle. And that's uh, the, key, the focus right? is, like, is that exactly.
0: It's the key of how did the enemy defeat you. How what
1: did
0: he do yeah. to
1: tri- to defeat you, and how can yeah, you fortify? Yeah, in, in in sports terms or in military terms, it's like re- reviewing the tapes. Um, if you had a play that where you, you you lost the ball, let's let's look at the videotape to find out how, what what led to that. Um, it's not focusing on the the you know the 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 foible of fumbling the ball or whatever. It's focusing on well let's rewind and see what went up to that and how can we position so that this doesn't happen again, um, and so it, it's the to step through the lost battle. You start with um, well, the the chemical scale. There's a one through ten, but at level five, is the the forget it moment. Is the what that's that's a lost battle. Is is at level five. Um, we call it the forget it moment, the effort moment. Uh, that, that's forget it effort it, mm-hmm. um, moment where you just like forget it. I'm I'm gonna just I'm just gonna act against my value system um, in whatever way that is, but identifying when and where that was, and then from there you go back to level four, which is the irrational or the stupid or the crazy conversation, uh, which is basically where you're you're kind of having this conversation in your head. Um, a good analogy or a good, good visualization is kind of the shoulder angel uh, that you have, you know, the, the visualization where you have the, the the devil and the angel on your shoulder kind of conversing back and forth about, you know, oh, you should really do this well, one. You, know, you should really stop. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of you know where, where you have in your voice that uh, you should really not, you should, you should probably quit before you have a last battle. Yeah, I know, in a minute. You know, that, that type of a conversation. And so identifying that and then identifying also the lies that Satan is telling you during that, during that conversation. What lies did he convince you to believe with that conversation? And, and how long did that last? Um, and part of, how, of identifying how long that lasts is to then identify the level three, the, um, the dude moment. Uh, identify this is what we call it and the the dude is like well dude you know what you could do right now um that's why it's called the dude moment um but the it's it's what the the moment where we can most easily identify the temptation to act outside your value system happened uh that's level three and then identifying when that happened and what what was that level three uh what was the lie what was the the temptation that that satan wanted you to to believe and wanted you to follow, and so leading up to then the level three is identifying the level two, which are strong negative emotions. What are the strong negative emotions that you could identify feeling, that uh, that allowed you to to spin, and t- to become susceptible to a dude moment? Uh, you know, uh, there's there's an acronym that we ident- that we we like to use to identify those is BLAST. B L A S T B is, is bored. Um, were you bored? Uh, L lazy. Uh, did you feel lazy? A anxious, angry. Uh, S stressed. R T and T is tired, either physically or emotionally, or both. And just identifying, did you feel that? And and um, and what are those things that you felt? Those strong negative emotions. And then leading up to that is a little bit harder to identify is level one where you just kind of feel off. You're, you're just, you're not feeling super great. There's not, no super strong negative emotions to identify specifically, but you just identify that you're off. You just, you can see that you're off. Um, and uh, which gets you back to level zero. When was the last time that you felt the spirit strongly and that you felt close to the heavenly father and identifying that? Um, and what was it that, that caused you to just feel off? What led you to, to that, just, you know, to, to, to lose the spirit? What was the trigger for that? Um, and identifying that um, if you can catch your battle at a level one or even a level two and get back to level zero where you're feeling the spirit and you're close and you're in tune, is, it's a whole lot easier to win a battle at level one, to do something to actively bring yourself to, to feel the spirit, uh, to to do something to fight against Satan, to identify that Satan is attacking you, and to do something to just kick him in the face and say, take that, Satan. Um, one thing that I talk about with the, the brothers in my group is that if, if you identify you're under attack from Satan, use that knowledge that you're under attack from Satan as a source of warrior chemistry to say, ha, thanks Satan for the reminder. Now I'm going to go do this to specifically attack what you're doing and not, not just resist his, what he's doing, but to go out and um, get up, change your environment and go do something good. Go do something that is, is, you know, that, that he can't control and that he, that, that brings about good in this world. Go serve your, your, your spouse or your mom or your, your sister or to go out and serve somebody. Uh, go do some go do something that, that helps your health go run or do some push-ups or something because all of that defeats defeats Satan. He doesn't want us to do anything productive. Go do something productive, go do something to minister, go do something to, to bring yourself back to a level zero and something where you feel uh, you feel your worth as a son of God.
0: And, you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of Elder Bednar's talk in General Conference about the cheetahs and the topies.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm just thinking all of the stuff that he shares in that talk. Um, <laughs> it was just so phenomenal about, you know, the, the sensitivity, spiritual sensitivity it takes to discern how the enemy is preying upon you and relentlessly... Stealthily trying to to get you to be off, so he can overtake, you know, your agency, and you end up losing a battle. One of the things he mentions in that talk was, you know, that he quotes President Nelson about how Satan is because he doesn't have a body; he uses yeah. our bodies, and that training that it takes right there to stay at that it's that place where yeah life's going to affect you you're going to get bored you're going to get lazy you're going to all those things you're going to feel off it's a daily experience but the but the training of here's what i do with my body or the weapon that i have yeah. this is what i do with my body it causes me pain so we can't overtake this it's so i love the way you described that
1: yeah, it, it's it's so important. I mean, one thing it's important to recognize with a lost battle analysis is that this first trigger—it's almost always never is it almost never is it something sexual that sets you off. It doesn't have to be something that that, that that directly relates to pornography or masturbation to get you spinning and get you started in that cycle that leads to a lost battle. It is, it can be just. Um, you know, your your kids did something to make you irritated, and you you got a little grumpy, or watching, you know, seeing something in a movie that it was just a violent movie, and it just you just got off. Uh, anything can can set you on that spiral, and it, it it Satan will use anything to to get you away from the Spirit, to get you to just bump you off of of the Spirit, and to help to make you lose the Lord's Spirit.
0: So it sounds a lot more like a. Like a training.
1: <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah, uh, that that that's that's one of the things that it with with the addiction recovery program, which is so helpful. The you know you read through the twelve step program and it, it it's very he- healing and that that's that's the repentance process. It's more of the this is how I get back to Christ. Um, with Menomaroni, this is a training program. We're going to go out and we're going to attack Satan. We're going to um, uh, like 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 Moroni talks about is that we we will we will hunt you down and and visit death upon you type of a, of, of a mentality is that we're going to go and we're not just going to um, not just going to fix the problem once it happens we're going to go out and attack and and defeat the and win those battles to go out and defeat the enemy rather than and. and in saying that, I don't—I don't mean to say that we go out and seek out Satan. It's—it's uh, <laughs> it's that, that we we know that we're, we're that when we're under attack, we're going to attack Satan back. We're not just going to, to fix fix the, the the problem of you know not, not just going to repent of the thing that we've done wrong. We're going to go out and be the aggressor in in this battle and go out and find men. And help them to see this is how you avoid that, and this is how you defeat Satan in your life, um, because you know there, there's a, you can get to a point where, like in the millennium, our hearts will be sealed from uh, sealed from his influence. The reason Satan is, will be bound in the millennium is because our hearts will will no longer be be open he will have no power over our hearts Um, and that's just because we will be so righteous we will have bound satan in our hearts or or rather bound satan out of our hearts um and we we can we don't have to wait for the millennium to come to bind our hearts against satan and to seal our hearts against satan and that's that's what i see metamoroni program doing is helping people to to bind their hearts against satan to 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 get so that you are defeating Satan, um, and that uh, your 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 picket fences and the, the ditches around about your cities, like Moroni did, uh, are 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 well maintained. That your border patrol, you have a patrol going around around your borders that's on a regular watch. So such though that the people that that the inside the city, the inside your, yourself does not experience the war that uh, that that is raging outside.
0: Ah, so awesome, man! That just makes me excited. I'm <laughs> full of chemistry just thinking that is so. <laughs> what it makes me want to say is, it's just so amazing to think. Well, we all signed up for the cause of Christ. We all said yes, and we, and especially especially if you're here and you have bound and and are trying to keep covenants. I mean, it's like we are in this noble army for the cause of Christ and for what he's here to do for us and with us. And so when you understand how to defeat the enemy in your heart before he can take you out, um, then your efforts for Christ, the things that you can do for him, um, increase exponentially and it just affects everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does.
0: How has, um, how has you getting this training and now becoming a mentor, but just your experience, how, how has it changed your life and your wife and your family? You know, it makes me think of Captain Maronite. Why are you fighting for my life, for my wife, you know, for my, you know, so many things. How, how has it changed those things?
1: Um, well, it's, it's helped me to be able to, to fight my battles, uh, in, in a more conscious and intentional way. Um, um not, not out of the woods with, uh, with my battle, with my, with, uh, with in my relationship for my wife. Um, she's, uh, she's still quite damaged from the, the um, the harm that I've caused her. Uh through my use of pornography and we're still struggling through, through that. Um, but at least now I'm on a path where I can, um, I can work through that. I'm starting to become somebody that, that can be there for her. She's a very powerful woman. Uh, just, I every day, even on the days when we're not exactly getting along, I still have just this, um, admiration of her strength and her, her fortitude. Wow. Uh, she's, she's an inspiration to me, whether she believes me or not.
0: <laughs> wow. That's special. Um,
1: you know, Maurice talks about uh, men in the mountain um, and pioneer women uh, that the, we, you know, we need to first learn how to be uh, strong on our own. Before we can uh, learn to be strong together, uh, Steve, Stephen Covey would call it uh, becoming independent before you become interdependent, and um, that's, that's what I'm learning to do, and helping her and well, allowing her to do that as well. Um, I don't know how much help I am to her in that, um, mostly because she's you know she's got to go through her own recovery process as well um, from being run over by the truck. Uh, And, um, but just, uh, I, I am the, the program is allowing me to heal so that, well, first of all, I'm not running her over with a truck anymore. And, but that I'm able to, um, to be strong and win battles on my own rather than relying on her to hold me accountable and relying on her to be responsible for my lost battles. And so, um, it, it allows her to, um, to go through the healing process herself. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not perfect in, in, uh, I'm, I'm not done healing yet. Let's put it that way. I've still got a lot of healing that I need to do so that I can, I can help her, but, um, I'm no longer, Driving the truck that, that runs her over, at least, and um, through through the betrayal and 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 the and, uh, and, and the lies that are involved with all of that. Um, but that that that's definitely helped. That that's something that um, it's difficult to deal with as in Minamorona is, is when there's married, you know, because it's not all married men, but when when there's men that are married and have and are going through that problem is that they often want marital advice. How do I do this? And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist as a mentor and men and, men and men program is not designed to fix marriages. It's designed to fix men um, because you can't really fix a marriage without fixing the man first. Um, but it's designed to, f- to help, to help fix the men so that they then can go and do what's necessary to, um, if the marriage is still fixable to fix it. Um, because, you know, sometimes there's a lot of damage done to a marriage. Well, most of, There's always a lot of damage done to a marriage, but sometimes there's enough damage done to a marriage that that it might be better for the marriage to end. Um, and hopefully that's not the case. Um, but you can't, even if that is the case, whether your marriage can be fixed or your marriage can't be fixed, you need to fix you in order to deal with what uh, whichever is the the whichever is the, the outcome of your marriage is that you need to be healthy enough to go through that uh, to to win the battles that satan's going to put you through because of that and so um, that that's that's the value of moroni. It, it's it, it moroni won't fix your marriage that needs to be a, a step after fixing you and, and fixing fixing the damage that uh, that you've gone through through the, the lost battles.
0: Thank you, Ahmed, for saying that. That's so cool. Well, amit I have just loved being here and hearing your story and your testimony. I love the way you've described um, the Metamoroni program, as well as shared some of the specific tools and what that looks like. That's so helpful. Um, for someone who's stuck in a place where they're like, "Yeah, I've tried stuff. I'm I'm too deep in this. I don't know."
1: Uh, like, that's, that's that's a lie. <laughs>
0: that's,
1: <laughs> that's that's what I would say to people like that. Is that that's a lie? And identifying that and saying that out loud, that's a lie. Um, if you know, I, I've I've often told people, you know, there there is such a thing as too late, but if you're asking the question, it's not yet too late is after you die and, uh, well, even then it, it, there's it's difficult to identify a too late um, but it, it, with the Savior's atonement and with uh, with the plan of salvation uh, too late is after the final judgment but we're not there yet um, so there's, there's still something you can do and there's always always hope for, for your situation
0: So good, and If someone was thinking, well, maybe I'll just get online and look at Menomoroni, you know, um, would it be, because I know there's therapist-led groups, there's mentor-led groups. And yeah, yeah, like, what would you tell them to just look for? How would, what would they, just some friend on the street was like, guy, I just need some help with this. What would you say?
1: (laughs) Well, I would I would tell them to to give give the matter some prayer about whether you go to the mentor led group, group or the the clinician led group, and um, decide you know and uh, you know give the matter to some prayer and discuss it with your bishop and and make a decision about which option is best for you. But uh, both options are, are are very valuable options. Um, you can you, you can gain a lot of value from either one. I don't have a lot of I don't have. Any experience actually with the, the clinician-led groups, but I imagine they're very similar. Uh, but uh, they, it, both of them are very. The, this the Menomonee program because both of them are part of the Menomonee program and the, follow the same uh, the same philosophy and uh, methodologies. It would be helpful and do something. Uh, don't don't do nothing. Do something to to get yourself some help and to get yourself so that you can start winning battles against satan don't believe the lie that you're that you're without hope that that's something that satan would love for you to believe and that's a a very powerful lie that he tells a lot of people and it's a lie that i believed uh for a lot a lot of time uh throughout throughout my life and one one of the things that uh he inspired me to procrastinate uh is is by believing the lie but don't don't put it off get started it feels like it will be embarrassing and that's another lie the Satan will tell you is that you know, the shame involved uh, to keep you from participating and doing something to get your life, to, to get your life healed and to get yourself into recovery. Um, there, the there my program is not about creating shame. We're here to help you fight that shame and to, to work through that shame. Um, there's definitely guilt involved whenever there's sin but to, to deal with it is guilt not shame to recognize the reality of that you've done something that needs to be corrected that's caused damage to you and to others but that doesn't make you a less worthy son of god you're still ha- you're still a son of god and you have divine worth and what what this addiction problem is doing to you is keeping you from feeling that let's get you some help so that you can you can feel that love that is always out there and so that you can feel that the love that the savior and the, the heavenly father have for you as the, as as a son of God.
0: Thank you, Emma. I felt the spirit so strong as you were saying that. Yeah, well if there's is there anything else that you love to say at the end um that you think, man, well, I really haven't got to say this yet, but
1: Covered all of. It. I guess I would I would say to also if there's any ecclesiastical leaders, any bishops or anybody that's that's out there, that um, have heard about this program. Uh, this is a very helpful program. It and um, even the the life changing services uh, through the the Eternal Warriors program can be very helpful for for any youth whether they're dealing with with pornography addiction or not. But um, as as a bishop. As a as a as a youth leader or as as ecclesiastical leader of any sort, if you uh, I'm just being in that position, I'm sure you're aware of the prevalence of pornography and the problem that it is. But there are also um, so many other things in this world that that uh, people do to act against their value systems, and the Eternal Warriors program is would be helpful for any family to participate in, and and even to have. Uh, to have uh, like Karen or somebody come present at your ward uh to to just help people learn how to fight battles and how to how to take the battle to uh, f- from from the defense and, and into the offense to go and fight the battle with Satan because we're in a very real battle and pornography is a major battlefield in that but there are other battlefields as well and so even if there's people that aren't necessarily dealing with that they're they're there are so many people that could benefit from implementing the manpower goals in their life and just learning how to fight those battles and identify the the battles that Satan plays in our head and the, the lies that he gets us to believe.
0: Excellent, thanks for that. Well, Evan, in closing, could you just answer Q1 for us? Why do you fight?
1: I fight to seal my heart from Satan. Um, that that is that is my ultimate goal is to get to a point where um, not so that it 's automatic like a program or like you know the convenience mechanism in your head not not so that i don 't have to fight anymore, but so that my my heart is sealed so that i i 'm focusing on doing good and building the kingdom rather than struggling with the day to day fight the defeating the, the, the lies of satan but that i have my border patrols up and that i have my my walls and my my ditches of earth around my city so that i can that, that satan no longer attacks the interior of my city the, the interior of my soul to get it so that I, I don't that my my border patrol is in place and i am i'm uh, i am no longer influenced by Satan's attacks that's why I'm fighting
0: that's excellent and that, you know as you say your ditches and your walls and your border patrol I just think in that same story there's this watchtower and I think you know <laughs> anybody watching you or hearing this podcast or experiencing your um your confidence and your ability to follow through and to be the man that you were born to be and to believe and have the identity that I am a son of God and I matter and um, that you have a, a duty to God and to Christ's purpose. And anyway, I just think from the watchtower, there are lots of people who might not be, feel like they're as high as being on a watchtower, but everybody's watching and wondering, is joy really possible? Is healing really possible? Um, Can things really change? Because every day I wake up and it's the same hard. And so to just hear uh, your story has been so inspiring, but also to just know that over all of it, over all the hard that we're facing and all the things we're wondering, that watchtower of our Savior, making it possible for change to happen, that He's, you know, He's there on the watchtower.
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah, and it, 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 there acts there absolutely is reason to hope because of the Savior. Um, you know, referring back to the the, the talk, uh, the webinars talk about the the topis and the cheetahs. Christ is there. He's that Topi, the, the more experienced older brother Topi that's there uh, on, from the higher vantage point to be able to see those cheetahs. And there, there is reason to hope and he's there. Uh, as long as we listen to his, uh, to his warnings and listen to him, we, there, there is hope and we can win our battles and be protected and safe.
0: So great. Um, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Karen. I appreciate it
0: yeah you're welcome